Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, today we have a friend who's right down the road. Why don't I introduce our guest? Yeah, so welcome Holly Laid, a professor at University of Florida. We're so excited to have you, Holly. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, and Holly is not only a literacy guru, but she's the director of the UF Literacy Institute, also known as UFLY. And uh, we go way back in just really following in and respectful and celebratory of all of the impact you've made for kids who struggle as readers. So thank you for that work. Thank you so much. We try. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's really going to be our first question. Thinking at your career to this point, what are, what are you most excited about in the work that you've done or the impact that you've made? Um, well, I guess probably the most important thing to me is helping teachers become more confident and therefore more successful in their capacity to help kids. And, you know, reading, most of us would agree, is one of the most important things that kids need to learn how to do in school. And for kids who are struggling with that, that has a huge impact on kids. And so ultimately, if teachers know what to do and feel good that they are confident and that they can be effective, then kids are much more likely to learn and kids who learn how to read are going to be more successful and it's in school and as adults so holly we're all in the in the practice of helping prepare people to be those good teachers so <laughs> mm-hmm. that kids can acquire those skills so kind of off the bat let's think about what 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 would you say are two practical things that a teacher can do a young teacher, a new teacher, when they realize that a student is struggling as a reader? Yeah, so really one of the most important things is to pinpoint what what is the problem. Um, so a lot of the work that we do is uh, theoretically grounded on a pretty easy to understand theory um, called the simple view of reading. And the simple view of reading is depicted as a mathematical formula, which kind of makes it... <laughs> interesting as a reading a reading theory, but um, it's D times LC equals RC. So D is decoding. You've got to be good at decoding. LC is linguistic comprehension. You have to be able to understand the spoken language. And those two things, there it's times, there's a multiplication factor in there because um, that reading comprehension is a product of decoding and linguistic comprehension. So if you do the math and either one of those things is missing, you, you maybe have um, great language skills. You can talk and understand when you're spoken to very well, but you can't decode. You have zero in that slot in the equation. Then reading comprehension is going to be a zero. And the reverse is true. Maybe you can decode really well, but you've got really weak linguistic comprehension. You don't have very good vocabulary or something like that's interfering. Then you're going to have weak comprehension as well. So understanding that is really important. So typically struggling readers are identified with their problems in reading comprehension. And if a teacher doesn't know what to do, what they typically go to is let's teach comprehension strategies. And that's almost never the right choice, (laughs) right? So going back in the equation and figuring out, well, is it a decoding problem? Is it a linguistic comprehension problem or is it both? Sometimes it's both and those kids tend to have the most um, difficult to uh, remediate kinds of of problems. So 
Um, that's one of the main things, I think, is understanding what goes into proficient reading and figuring out how to pinpoint where the problem is. And then once you've pinpointed the problem, it's a lot easier to tackle. Right. Um, one thing to know is that um, a much larger percentage of kids who struggle struggle on the decoding side of the equation. So around 90%, in fact, of struggling readers struggle in decoding. Around 20% of those also struggle in linguistic comprehension. And then there's another very small, around 10% of struggling readers who struggle only on the linguistic comprehension side. So um, if you then learn effective strategies for teaching foundational reading skills, teaching kids how to read words, then for the vast majority of kids, you're going to be able to help them solve their problems. So what about that kid? So I'm a parent, I'm a teacher, that that solution, you know, doesn't work. I know you've been doing lots of great curriculum development and interventions for kids and parents to think about what what is the go-to when when you know that treatment just doesn't doesn't get us where we want to go. Where do we go next? Well, I, I mean, I think mostly going back and figuring out is this the most effective form of the intervention that I can be providing. So, um, I would never. Um, encourage anyone to just give up and go a different route if there's still a chance that you can actually address the difficulty. Um, but for some kids that, you know, it's not, you know, reading is not going to be in their cards, you yeah, know, and so yeah. finding a good accommodation um, to meet their needs is going to be the next step. So um, if you've got kids who have been through years and years of decoding intervention and still can't decode, or they've been through years and years of well-supported, effective linguistic comprehension intervention, and they're still not understanding, then figuring out other ways to help them learn what they need to learn in school without reading. And in the meantime, you can use those accommodations to keep kids up to speed. Um, So if, if you've got a student, say, a third or fourth grader, who is expected to learn a lot through reading in their social studies or science classes, but they're struggling with decoding, you don't want them to fall behind in the content and developing their knowledge because they can't read the words. So um, using strategies like um, text-to-speech kind of software so that's, that the text reader um, can help them keep up is, is a really important strategy. Yeah, and I love that, you know, don't don't give up too fast, but make sure it's evidence-based. Like, I love that, that you keep saying that because I think that's the mistake is a lot of kids get you know, every every uh, experience that I can provide them was decoding, but they were all wrong and bad. Right. Um, so, right. yeah. And I would also say don't get hung up on a program. Yeah. There, there are some programs that I hear, you know, the a parent is demanding that you use this program. Well, there isn't a magic, you know, key to, to solving the problem in one particular program. And it, I don't, it's not the program, it's it's the instructional methods and the content of those methods that are important. Um, you know, in our teacher preparation program, one of my um, mottos, mantras, you might even <laughs> call it, is um, that I want my teacher candidates to be program independent. Mm-hmm. I want them to have the knowledge and skills. So where, whatever district they go to, whatever program is put in their hands, because teachers very seldom have mm-hmm. choice right. in the, in in what curriculum they're using. Whatever curriculum they're handed, they can make it as effective as it can be for every kid in their classroom. 
um, because there isn't a program that doesn't require teacher expertise mm -hmm. as part of it. Mm -hmm. And so to have the, the capacity to tweak it in the correct places and figure out where it's lacking and um, solve those problems for kids is where the teacher comes in. Right. And, uh, you know, that that's so true that we don't know what program anyone is going to have out there or if they're even going to have a specific program in some cases. <laughs> in, so, in, a, in a lot of cases. Yeah. So let's – so can you break it down – to just one simple, and I am going to go with decoding, Lisa. <laughs> so 90% of the students who struggle mm -hmm. have decoding issues. And I'm a teacher who, wow, I haven't, I haven't looked at the reading stuff in a bit. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything simple yeah. I can try to get started? I, I don't know if I'd call it simple, but it's, um, it, it boils it down. It's pretty concise. Sure. So um, actually, we, we have three things that we say um, when we're doing our um, training for field experience, tutoring for our early students, what we tell them is that they need to be um, good at three things in order to be effective tutors. So the first one is sounds. Um, you'd be astonished how many adults and how many teachers even don't know the sounds of their letters. <laughs> and, <laughs> and not to say that they don't know a sound for a letter. It's just not the sound that is actually used. <laughs> and so what I mean by that is, is knowing blendable sounds. So if you've learned, for example, that B says buh, and you're going to try to decode a word like big, you're going to decode it like buh, ig, buh, iga. And you're going to, what is that, buh, iga? I don't know that word. So you need to learn a sound that can be blended. And so a better sound instead of buh for B would be b. If you say big, 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 oh, that, then, it, then you can say, oh, I know what that word is. And that is such a critical piece. So learning blendable sounds and then learning a strategy um, for um, helping kids segment the sounds in language so that they can um, write those sounds. And also that helps them decode. So we, we do a lot of our decoding instruction through encoding, which is spelling. So the better you can spell a word, the better you're going to be able to read the word. So the strategy that we typically use is called Elkonin boxes. And Elkonin was just a Russian psychologist. That was his name, the person who <laughs> developed this strategy. But um, Elkonin boxes give you a way to segment the sounds in a word and practice that segmentation of getting, um, you know, being able to break that word big into big or cat into cat and be able to um, say each sound. And then you need a strategy for manipulating letters. So we use magnetic letters all the time. And being able to spell that word cat and then for the teacher to be able to say, well, if I changed the k in cat to a s, can you put a new letter there? What, what word is that? And have the child read the word. Um, those strategies, if you can... Say your sounds right. You can teach kids to segment the sounds and then to blend the sounds together. And also using ways to use letters and manipulating those letters in order to um, encode words and decode words. 
That's perfect. I, fe I feel like I just took a class. I literally just took notes, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's the power of Holly <laughs> in the world of reading. Yeah, and all I kept thinking, and this is just for a quick laugh, is, uh, you know, my mother and my mother-in-law always say Warsh. And I'm like, there is no OR there. <laughs> but again, it's a good example of, of, you know, not being a decoding task. And, and again, if you have anybody else in your life that does that, it's, it is one of those words that well, often we, people I say. run into that all the time. Yeah. Where, where um, it, you know, it's a, that's a perfectly valid pronunciation of that word, and a lot of people pronounce it that way. And we, we, I'll hear teachers say, "Well, you know, my kids are misspelling the word tree because they're spelling it with a ch, and there's, you know, you don't hear a ch in tree." I'm like, "Well, yeah, you do." <laughs> when we, that, so understanding phonemes, this is a really crazy thing: is that when um, teachers define the word phoneme, they think of it as the smallest unit of sound in language. But when linguists, the people who actually study phonemes, define phoneme, they say, yes, it is the smallest unit of sound, but it's also the physical act used to produce that sound. And when you're producing a sound like a T followed by an R, you do the things with your lips. You're rounding your lips into basically a CH. And when I'm, I'm hearing teachers tell kids, no, you're saying it wrong. No, they're saying it like most people say it, you know? And so we really need to be aware of that, that, um, you know, dialect, dialectical differences, accent differences are just differences, and they're all okay. And, but that's a really a, a, a common yeah. thing that kids and teachers run into is just they're pronouncing things differently, and they need to figure out how to um, connect that phoneme, that sound, with the grapheme or the letters in the word. And if they say it differently, then that's what they're connecting. Yeah, that's fine. So uh, fast forward, you know, 1500 years, somewhere in there, I'll let you decide where. Um, thinking about all the work you've done and, and your vision, and I know the hard work you're still doing in your center, what do you hope it looks like for the reading teacher of the future? Well, one of the things that I'm on a mission um, to do is to improve teacher preparation and reading. Um, I feel like most teachers feel like I felt, which is I didn't learn how to teach reading in my teacher preparation program. And unfortunately, that's not just common. It's the vast majority of teachers feel that way. I thought it was me. It was years before I realized that it, I was not the exception. I was the rule. And um, so making sure that teachers while they're preparing to be teachers, learn the science of reading. And the science of reading includes content from linguistics and understanding you know, phonology and phonetics, but also understanding syntax and semantics. And that's the content of reading instruction. So learning linguistics, but also knowing the psychology, the you know, cognitive psychology about learning and understanding the neuroscience, what's going on in the brain. I don't they don't have to become brain scientists, <laughs> but they need to understand that we do know a lot about what's going on in the brain when we're reading. And so having that background beyond just the pedagogy from education research, understanding the research from this whole big body of science about reading is, I think, critical. And so if teacher preparation programs can include that, that alone will make so much bigger of a dent in the reading problem that we have than any new curriculum or anything else could do, making sure that teachers know what they need to know to be successful. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Holly. Uh, we appreciate it. Sure.
And if you have any questions, you can tweet us at Access Practical or you can post them on our Facebook page. Thank you again, Holly. Thank you. It's been my Thank pleasure. You.